Hello, my name is Dr. Roger Henderson. I'm a GP in Dumfries and Galloway, and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to this GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all of us working in primary care. Now, you can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Do please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear, do please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups. And you can follow me there too, at Roger the Doctor. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for podcast episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, we'll be discussing dry skin, particularly with its impact on mental health. Now, why is that important? Well, we know that chronic skin disease is linked to psychological distress and psychiatric comorbidities. Now, around 25% of the UK population consult a GP every year for a skin-related problem. And the psychosocial impact of skin disease is often underestimated. Skin problems can impact on every area of life, including education, relationships, work and leisure activities. And the long-term psychological impact of chronic skin disease, particularly dry skin conditions, to include feelings of shame and isolation, embarrassment, depression and anxiety. It's likely that the psychosocial impact of skin disease is typically underestimated by healthcare professionals, and there's increasing evidence that managing patients with skin disease holistically from the start of their condition reduces both the physical and the psychosocial impact on them in the long term. Eczema, for example, affects 1 in 12 adults and 1 in 5 children in the UK. And dry skin can occur year-round and affects people of all ages, but is often worse in winter months, which are obviously coming up, because of low humidity. Other causes of dry skin include simply getting older, a dry climate, genetics, health conditions such as diabetes and kidney disease, and occupations where hand-washing occurs frequently. We'll all have seen older people with dry skin conditions, and this happens because the skin thins with age and loses its elasticity. And moisture-producing oil and sweat glands tend to dry up the older we get. Now, obviously, if dry skin becomes severe, it causes inflammation and dermatitis. So we've got atopic dermatitis, for example, this very common skin problem we all see in our surgeries. Contact dermatitis, when something comes into contact with the skin which then triggers an allergic or an irritant reaction. And seborrheic dermatitis, where our bodies react to the normal yeast that grows on the skin and causes dry flaky skin on the face and inside the creases of the groin, legs and arms. Now obviously other skin conditions such as psoriasis can also cause significant drying of the skin, but I'm not going to look at psoriasis in great detail in this particular podcast. And I think there are four general categories that most patients with the mental health component of their skin condition fall into. We've got patients with chronic skin diseases such as psoriasis or eczema that are exacerbated by low mood, anxiety and stress. 
We've got patients with a primary skin disease that's accompanied by psychological distress. We've got patients with a skin condition that can cause a change in appearance, which can then have a psychosocial impact. And we've got patients with psychiatric or psychological conditions who present us as healthcare professionals. And I think it's also important to recognize that a skin condition with physical symptoms we might classify as mild can result in severe mental health issues. And so the point there is the severity of the skin problem isn't necessarily correlated to the level of mental health problem being experienced by that particular patient. Mental health distress both impacts on treatment adherence and outcome, as well as exacerbating the course of skin disease. And I think examples here include atopic dermatitis and chronic urticaria that are strongly associated with depressive and anxiety symptoms. Unfortunately, around 20% of patients with psoriasis have clinically significant depression, with almost the same number reporting suicidal thoughts and actually having a greater risk of suicide. There is a direct and significant association between skin conditions and mental health, with one recent high-quality survey produced by the All-Parliamentary Party Group on Mental Health and Dry Skin finding that 98% of people with skin problems believed their condition impacted on their emotional and psychological well-being, and 5% reported thoughts of hopelessness and suicidal ideation linked to this. Unfortunately, only 18% of those people had received some form of psychological support. And it's not just adults. Children with skin problems persisting into adulthood can have their work productivity and psychological well-being negatively impacted as a consequence of their childhood condition. There's a hidden cost of dry skin conditions, which is particularly pertinent with everything that's going on at the moment, because we have lost working days due to skin disease. We pay over £70 million or so in work benefits where the main condition is skin-related, and this doesn't reflect the economic impact of any depression, anxiety, or mental health distress of people affected by long-term skin conditions. We can sometimes forget the out-of-pocket costs to our patients as well, such as emollients, clothing, cleaning costs, and these can pose a substantial burden for effective individuals and are higher than in other chronic diseases. Some patients with chronic dry skin conditions may actually doctor shop by having multiple attendances in both primary and secondary care settings, and with each attendance having a financial cost to the NHS. The prescribing of emollients, and I'm going to touch on this in more detail, to treat dry skin and eczema is associated with significantly fewer primary care visits, reduced healthcare utilisation, and reducing costs. And using emollients is associated as well with fewer prescriptions for topical corticosteroids and antimicrobials. So emollients are the cornerstone of treatment for all dry skin conditions. Now these soften, smooth and rehydrate the skin, helping to reduce the signs and symptoms of dry skin, as well as making the skin less itchy, moister and more flexible, and so helping to prevent skin cracking. Now there are several different types of emollients as we all know in the forms of gels, lotions, 
creams, ointments, bath and shower gels, soap substitutes, and simple emollients put a fine moisture-retaining layer of non-physiological lipids or oil, such as petroleum or mineral oil, over the skin surface, and so reduce water loss from the upper skin layer, the stratum corneum. More advanced emollient products contain additional green ingredients, such as humectants, like urea and glycerol, which attract and hold water in that skin layer. Now, there's no good evidence from controlled trials to support the use of one particular emollient over another, but prescribing emollient should never be based purely on cost alone, because patient preference is crucial, along with clinical assessment. But other factors we should consider when we're reaching for our prescription pads regarding emollients is the severity of skin dryness, cosmetic acceptability, and the ease of use, and it can be sometimes necessary to try a range of emollients before one particular patient finds the best treatment that suits them best. And using creams and lotions on red and inflamed areas of skin and ointments for dry skin that isn't inflamed. A particular plea from the wayside pulpit here is to prescribe emollients in suitable quantities. I think many of us are guilty of prescribing far too little or a 30 gram tube and thinking that will do. For children with atopic eczema, NICE recommends 250 grams per week, and that should be doubled in adults. So, emollients should always be prescribed in 500 gram tubs and pumps to ensure that patients adhere to guidance on the quantity of emollient required per application and also the frequency with which it's applied. We also mustn't forget that although all emollients are combustible, those containing paraffin are highly flammable, and patients should be warned about this risk. We might also think that it's very easy to put on emollients, and of course it is, but we should also instruct our patients on how to apply emollients correctly, putting it onto the skin and rubbing it in following the same direction as the skin hair. The best time to apply emollients is after washing, bathing or showering when the skin is warm and moist, allowing moisture to be trapped in the skin. And it goes without saying, I think, that compliance with regular emollient use is far more likely if a patient fully understands both the benefits of emollients and has been shown how to apply them properly. So always try to take the time, if we've got it, to demonstrate to your patient how to apply emollients correctly. As with all areas of mental health, when offering treatment for any common mental health disorder, follow a stepped care approach, offering or referring for the least intrusive and most effective intervention first, such as CBT. If a person with a skin condition presents with symptoms of anxiety and depression, assess the nature and extent of their symptoms. And if they have depression accompanied by symptoms of anxiety, the first priority should usually be to treat the depressive disorder in line with the NICE guideline on depression. If they've got an anxiety disorder and comorbid depression or depressive symptoms, consult the NICE guidelines for the relevant anxiety disorder and consider treating that anxiety disorder first. If both anxiety and depressive symptoms are present with no formal diagnosis, 
and these are associated with functional impairment, discuss with that patient the symptoms to treat first and the choice of intervention. So as a general aid memoir, I suppose, here, looking at what we've been talking about, the most common locations affected by dry skin conditions are the hands, legs, arms, and the face and the cheeks. Itching and cracking or splitting of the skin is one of the most troubling physical aspects of living with a dry skin condition. And more than three-fifths of people with dry skin find itching one of the most difficult physical aspects of their dry skin condition to live with. Reducing this itching and skin cracking makes people with dry skin much more confident, less stressed, more hopeful and empowered to take control of their skin health. And the majority of people with dry skin conditions see an improvement in their skin from using the emollient at least once a day. It really can be as simple as that. And asking about both emollient use and psychological well-being are crucial in any consultations about dry skin conditions. Now, obviously, if emollient treatment in combination with other topical treatments isn't controlling your patient's skin condition, or it's becoming more severe and you're confident that they're adhering to treatment guidelines, then referral to a dermatology specialist should be considered. If you've got concerns about the mental health of your patient, if treatment isn't improving their symptoms, seek advice from your local mental health team or consider referral to a psychiatric specialist if appropriate. So that's an overview of dry skin and its impact on mental health. And I do hope you found it helpful and educational. Do please have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com. And we'd be very grateful if you'd consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. So thank you for listening, and as always, until the next time, 